Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome back to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Uh, this week we'll be talking about the most dangerous game on the planet, Calcio Storico, if that's how you pronounce it. And we'll be talking about our most fierce players that we played with and the players we wouldn't take uh, in a fight. Also talking about the saga at Leicester with Manu potentially leaving and five more players. And also now World Rugby have listened to this podcast and decided that it's time to have less replacements on the bench to make the game faster and players less big. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So Nick, this is uh, this is going to be our last one for a while. Uh, so let's make it a, a fun one or an interesting one, uh, mm. to say the least, before we all go on holidays. And uh, I know you said you were going to go to Portugal last week, but now they're, they're red flagged, aren't they? You might not actually be going, so... <laughs> So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there, but um, but yeah, one thing one thing we did talk about a few weeks ago was the Last Dance, which was I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I'm always searching up things on Netflix to see what's good to watch. And I came across the most amazing game that I'd never even heard heard of. So those of you who watch Netflix, have a look out for this. I'll try and pronounce it right. Calcio Storico which is a game played in Italy, Fiorentina, I think. And effectively, it's 25 v 25. It's a big sand court, and you score a goal by throwing a ball into the net. And there are no rules. It's effectively UFC stroke rugby stroke American football with no rules. And it's, it's basically one-on-one fighting to clear a path for someone to get the ball into the net. Now, I was amazed when I sent it to you to ask you to watch it and you said you'd already seen it and uh, I thought wow what what how brutal is that game so for those listeners or, or watchers who've um, who, who follow us do have a look at it and just think in the England rugby teams or your teams that you play with who would you pick in your team who are the hardest bastards that you've played with and uh, or, or likewise who would you not pick which might be as interesting so over oh, there's to plenty, you, mate. There's, 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 there's plenty you wouldn't pick, which might be a surprise. But I don't think I can mention names, but I've come across no, a lot. You have of soft, to. Mate, I've got, come across a lot of soft players in my time. You know, the, the fake tough men, mate. The fake tough men. Tarzan Phil. in the gym. We used to say Tarzan in the gym, Jane on the field, mate. There's plenty of those, especially in the modern game as well. Well, there's um, a better way of saying that, Nick. It's uh, we used to say. Um, Train like Tarzan, play like Jane. I mean, well, there's so many players. That's, that's exactly what I've just said. No, I it's said, a different Tarzan way of saying it. Gym, yours is, yours Jane is on the, the field. Gym. No, no, it's just, it better, my one's better. Nah, no, so no, come it's on, it's, come it's on, exactly let's, the same. Let's just name the weak ones. I mean, Phil the Glamble, right? Well, Definitely. let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about the program first, and then we'll go on to the play. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. Yeah, as you say, 27 v 27. It's like a 40 by 60 sand court. Sand. I mean, God, <laughs> yeah. that's rough enough. And they say uh, they say it's a combination between boxing or sorry the skill set is boxing, wrestling, football, and rugby, right? And they say they train for all of those sports. Oh, it's not yeah. paid. Um, it's between four regions in Florence, isn't it? And if you're born there, that's it. There's no moving across. And I tell you what, that throws up. We'll talk about the violence a bit later. Is yeah, it was actually quite you know it's the old romantic view about actually you know how money corrupts 
sport, especially. Yeah. Uh, you see the passion, and of course, you know the more violent, the more brutal, the more physically contact, uh, contact, uh, more physical contact there is in a sport. Clearly, the emotional intensity needs to be uh, drummed up, especially in a team sport. And you're going to do more for each other. But well, it's astonishing, isn't it? When they're walking through the streets, arm in arm, the crowds there, the fans oh. are there for the sort of two games they've got a year, and they're cheering them on, and they don't get paid a cent. You know, they do it for the love, the passion of the city and obviously, the you know, the region they're brought up in and the fans and for the glory. And but It's a bit nostalgic though, isn't it, Brett? Because, yeah. you know, it's similar to our game. We both played in the amateur area, you, you know, a lot longer because you're obviously miles older than me. But uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but actually, you know, you lose, you do lose a little bit of the, the sense of that um, and you hope that it doesn't get lost in rugby. But look, that's for another time. But the violence of the game, they, they were talking about the injuries, weren't they? They're saying, right, well, you're going to do your ACL and PCL in a game, you're just going to have to crack on. You just want yeah. to last 50 minutes, because 50 minutes, isn't it? And he said the worst yeah. injury and is uh, a guy carried on plane and uh, he had his eyeball in his hand. So he had his eyeball, <laughs> I don't know, gouged, kicked out, whatever it was, found it in his hand and he carried on plane. With it, yeah. And eventually, but I don't know whether you off. saw. There was one kid who reminded me of Jason Robinson. So clearly, the tactics. I think the red team who won it, and he he, he tends to score all all the goals. Hey, but, don't ruin it. Don't ruin. It. You've just said oh, the red money. You've ruined it for everyone. Listen, wants to watch okay. it. Well, well, well. Listen, they're not going. They're not there. And I think you're you weren't there when you watched to see the, the goals. You're there to see the violence. And yeah. when I say violence, we're talking like UFC proper violence. Uh, no gloves, no nothing, kicks from all sorts of angles and just group fights, just proper violence. And it was just amazing. Hey, they're flipping so, people on their heads and everything. Broken necks can occur and everything. It's, it's mad. Who, who would you, so, so let's just let's just say the players you've played with, if you could uh, if you could pick some of your starting players who you know that you know that actually have got your back are gonna look after you. One player who I found was probably the most violent. I think he's got more red cards than anyone in the game, actually, was Danny Grucock. Silent assassin, really quiet, stacked, built like a brick shit house. didn't say much, black belt karate. But I tell you what, what an enforcer he was. I don't know whether he punched you ever. Nick, did you ever get punched by I Danny know, I had a few battles with Danny, played with Danny with England as well. And, uh, yeah, look, he, he, would be, he would be up there, wouldn't he, in the recruitment policy, that's for sure. Um, hard man, be able to take it. Because the other thing is, as you talk about the NFL thing, it's the worst thing for me. It wasn't like, okay, the wrestling and flip them on their heads and the boxing. Yeah. It's when they get taken out blindsided. <laughs> if someone comes in with a 20-meter run-up, they're, 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 they're ready, sort of like, you know, yeah. with the, mark, the Queensbury them. rules about to take on the opposite man. And someone from the opposition comes in, blindsides around the knee or kicks him in the head or yeah. flying headbutts him in the ribs. And you just think, who's going to be able to take that? So Danny would definitely be able to take that better than most. For I'd me, have, have, for me, um, I mean, look, there's there's a number of names in there, but one guy I played with, and uh, you know, this guy's tough, but this guy's hard as well, and he would love that yeah. game. He's Chris Halafia. Don't know if you remember. He's a number eight. Played for Quinns. He played for London Irish, uh, a bit for London Welsh. Most savage tackler ever, mate. Fucking hard, fucking hard. Really, like, he is right. a guy, mate, and also loose as you like when he gets a bit of alcohol down him. You know, there's a lot of people <laughs> like that, but he was loose. He is a guy in that mindset. You don't want to be anywhere near. Right, you want him on your side. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I had uh, did, um, 
Well, what one player who I, I think would be would be that player, a silent assassin coming from the side, would be Kevin Yates, <laughs> who bit <laughs> off someone's ear. So he'd be perfect for this game. I mean, he'd be a little silent destroyer. Gareth yeah. Archer was quite violent. I played with him for a few years. He was really violent. I made the mistake. I went on holiday with all the girlfriends and and a few rugby lads went on went on holiday. Actually, um, Danny Grucott was on a holiday. And I'm quite a good arm wrestler. In fact, I, I must have an arm wrestle against you live and see who wins. But I beat him in an arm wrestle and he tried to headbutt me in this pub. But Gareth Archer's got a bit of a temper on him, especially a few drinks inside him. So he'd be on my side. But... Um, yeah, you, you, who, like, who would you not want on your side? I tell you who I wouldn't want on my side. So Phil de Glanville, right, captain of England, very nice chap in the centres. Um, I don't think he'd be a, a scrapper. Um, I was going to say someone like Jerry Guscott, but I think he got he got done once, didn't he, for sort of lamping someone on, on a yeah, separate crossing. Yeah, I think that was a geriatric, man. That was an OAP, wasn't it? Oh, was it an OAP, was it? Uh, so who would you not have then? So who you've played with, you're thinking, uh, nah. You're you're on the subs bench, or you're not on my side. Come on, name and shame someone. Oh mate, I mean, there's tons, there's tons, isn't there? You're going to pick a load of backs, aren't you? Well, mate, I mean, look, I mean, uh, who got chin? Josh Lucy, Josh Lucy, you'd have on your side, actually. It'd be quite basically good. But who did who did he famously chin in training, mate? Danny Cipriani. Sit, you wouldn't have. He'd be be too busy (laughs) wanting to look after his his pretty boy looks. Um, Would you have Johnny Wilkinson? He's a tough bastard. Yeah, yeah, he's tough. Johnny's he's tough. tough. I mean, you need so you need someone for the footballing skills, don't you? You need someone. Yeah, Carling, Carling. No, Gomez. I would not have Gomez. Gomez is not Gomez. Squee- <laughs> mate, he's the biggest squealer around. Really? Andy Gomez, oh, the biggest. Yeah, squealer no, I think around. you're right. Well, you said name and shame. Name but let's let's talk, let's talk about big guys, right? The fake tough guys. This is oh, this, the this fake ones. They're the fake tough guys. Um, that you played with the guys that sort of look the part as we Chris che- Chris Chesney. Do you ever come across Chris Chesney? Mate, I he hope is, he doesn't. I he hope he doesn't see massive this. now. He, he's bigger than when he, he played. Ju- mate, he's juiced up. He does security, doesn't he? He does quite yeah. a bit. So you wouldn't have Chris Chesney on your side because uh, I never, mate, I never played with Chris. I just know him to drink with him, but uh, I've not known what it's like when uh, you know the whites of his eyes are. Uh, being stared at and he backs out as your as Dean, your Rich, Dean, Dean Richard would just say nothing, but he was like he'd be like a bear. He'd yeah, but mate, he, he would be good on the wrestling front and he would take punishment. He'd be he'd be fine. Oh, I tell you one, I tell you one who would be giving it all the mouth, but probably not very good would be uh, Brian Moore. In fact, Brian Moore, I tweeted him. I said, you know, who would you have on your team? And he didn't reply, so he'd be all mouth, but. Uh, I don't think he'd be. He wouldn't be in your front line, would he, Brian? But he's like one of those. Is he like one of those scrum halves that gives it all the big? Yeah. Shit? I, tell you, I tell you, he's like. I tell you, he's like. He's top lad, good mate of a very well, very good mate of mine. DC, Danny Care, hilarious. Right? Oh whenever, yeah. Whenever, whenever, whenever we were out, when, whenever we went out, you know, for a few beers and everything, and you know, sometimes you know, you always get these knobheads that like to challenge you. You know, you see yeah. players in there, or they're a bit pissed and all that sort of stuff. Whether it be at home or abroad, yeah. DC would always be the one. Right, stirring it out, running it up, giving it. Come on in, you know. Yeah, yeah. From the cheap, from the cheap seats, just sort of shouting abuse and everything, and stirring it up because he knew that he had quite a bit of protection around him. <laughs> you know, he knew <laughs> well, I, if this kicks off, and sometimes it did kick off. 
Okay, yeah. he'll be the one. Once you've got someone on the floor in your middle of it, he'll be oh, the one yeah. sort of like giving you a toe poke, to, toe poke in the ribs or whatever. It well, might I, be. I remember, I remember. So when I played, and and that's this has been outlawed probably about five years ago, where you you're not allowed. The scrum half used to be allowed to stamp all over anyone on the floor at the at the bottom of the rook, and you could claim that you were trying to release the ball. So I used to do a lot of that. But a guy called Simon Rower Louis, do you remember yeah. him? Big second Massive row. Head. Massive, massive head. head, right? He came to Southsons and he just came up to me on the first day. He said, uh, Kieran, no one is going to touch you when I'm playing. And I was like, wow, that's great. And I remember someone tried to get hold of me in a game and he, he, he absolutely pummeled this bloke straight away. And he had my back all the time. So he'd be in my team. Massive head, though. Yeah. Massive head. Unbelievable. May I tell uh, you, we're, we're talking about the big lads here. Do you know what I mean? Um, Someone I played against him a couple of times, and uh, it was just sort of it was more rumors than anything else. Um, yeah, Byron Haywood, Byron Haywood, who was oh, a, yeah, was 10 Welsh, Welsh 10, but he was a boxer as well, which yeah. you need. And um, oh, yeah, I heard a story you might have played in this game actually it involves Bristol. And you know, do you know a second row called Chad Eagle? Chad, yes, Eagle, big, big yeah, bloke, he, Kiwi guy, six, six seven, seven, six, seven, seven 19, four. 20 stone, yeah. top bloke. Yeah. Um, apparently there was a set to Byron Haywood, probably 11 stone after a piss wet through and a good Sunday lunch. Yeah. Um, about five foot, five foot eight, five foot nine. Um, apparently there was a, there was a spark up between both of them and literally it was all Byron. Chad didn't lay, lay a hand on him. No way. Broken nose, black eyes and everything. Didn't know where he was. Spark out at stumbling <laughs> across the pitch, being supported a little bit like Paul Ackford, you know, Mendes back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and you heard a few rumours about him that he'd had a few dust-ups on the field back in the day when you could just to sort things out. Um, so he's quite a different one in I'll terms you, of like a diminutive, diminutive sort of yeah, character. Yeah, did you hear about the, the, the very welcome story? I think it was from the 2001 Lions when um, Austin Healy and Brian O'Driscoll, I think Brian O'Driscoll is, uh, used to box when he was younger. And he said, anyone fancy a little spar? And Austin Healy got really confident and uh, put on these gloves. And apparently Brian O'Driscoll just sparked him a couple of times and everyone was like cheering. So I heard that one. So Brian O'Driscoll, you'd have Brian O'Driscoll on your yeah, side. Yeah. Tough I'll tell you so another centre, Tinge. You'd have Mike Tindall. Yeah, he's Mike another, Tindall. He, he's another yeah. one that can take punishment. <laughs> he, he, he's not bothered about how he looks, is he, really? Yeah. He'll just take whatever comes his way. Um, but we, we, whenever there's a fight in the game, were you, would you were you sort of like handbags or were you, would you get involved? Because some players, like Julian White, for example, if there's ever a little fight breakout, he'd just be straight in and just want to just Man, kill I remember, people. I remember him sparking Shez, Andy Sheridan. Um, right. she, no, Shez, Julian mate, White sparked out Sheridan. Yeah, but mate, Shez, Shez no. is slow, mate. Shez is slow. He's strong, but he's slow. And Shez had been doing a bit of boxing. Um you know, because he was interested in it at the time. And it was, was it a semi-final? I can't remember if it was a play, playoff semi-final or a league game. And uh, they came up from a scrum, obviously, loose head against tight head. Julian White was yeah. the tight head. Shez the loose head. And Shez came up and just gave him a little jab. You know, like a textbook <laughs> little jab. And White yeah. just clocked him, just gave him a right cross, right on the chin. Shez just went down. <laughs> and White didn't even wait for the red card, mate. He just walked off. Oh, did he just walk yeah, he off? just walked off at Welford Road, I think it was. So I think Leicester still won. You know, the refs... Uh, really, of course. Yeah, which, was, which is probably a bit like the... Um, who's the policeman who got knocked out by um, the Argentinian? Ackford got knocked yeah, out. Yeah, he got... 
Yeah, but um, God, we could, could go on forever, couldn't we? With thinking about how hard people were, but I just remember in, in training at Bristol, um, my first training session. It was on a Wednesday night before a Saturday game, and um, there was full-on men brawls. Like the forwards were full-on brawling. I mean, it was yeah, just mate, ridiculous. That's, that's what the game used to be, mate. Yeah, be. and not it was as much. You know, you asked me about me. Look, you know, when, when fighting was. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say aloud, but when it was sort of accepted in certain start, circumstances, I would I'd be scrapping if it was it was the initial part of it. So whether someone had tried <laughs> to hit me, yeah. you know, but if someone had tried to hit me or a teammate, and then I went straight in there, or you know, I'd sparked it off. If it was just a mass brawl or something like that, and everyone was piling in, unless you saw something untoward, like you see, I tell you what, you want to watch some of the videos of the old French games, you know. Um, yeah. unless someone came in with a flying kick and it was just a bit of a, it was like, what's the point? You know, it started to be counterproductive. So you sort of go in yeah. there and try and split it up a bit. But uh, yeah. T- tell uh, you what, who was the I guy mean, people say they were the good old days. And I'll tell you what I find, you know, a little bit erroneous is um, when people talk about the hard men in rugby, right? And they talk about the yeah. hard men back in the day. And okay, fair enough. I sort of had a little pop at, you know, there's a lot of fake tough guys, you know, who are good in a yeah. gym out on the field, probably don't dish it like they should do in terms of legally nowadays. Yeah. But look, nowadays, sort of a toughness is playing your part in terms of actually, you know, the amount of amount of punishment you take from a legal point of view in terms of collisions, getting up off the floor, working hard. Yeah. You know, all of that sort of stuff. That That sort of... You know, you're sort of, and, tough, and that's why, and that's why you're saying Johnny Wilkinson was a tough bastard, wasn't he? Yeah. He, but back, he, he but back in the it. day, you sort of read these reports about who were the hardest men in rugby, and it's like, hold on a second, these people are blindsiding people at a line out. Yeah. They're not even looking. He's punched him in the face and knocked him out. That's just a cheap shot. Yeah. You know, and I was never yeah, like that. I never, I never ever cheaped shot. And look, I know I played a, a lot more in a professional era than I did then, but I. I, that was never sort of in me, just a cheap shot someone, get your retaliation in first sort of thing. And you think, well, that's yeah. not hard, mate. If the person's not looking, you knock someone on the line out and you get this legendary status that, to, to me, I just didn't understand yeah. that at all. It was sort of like, well, that's quite cowardly in a way. Yeah. Fair enough. If if you're looking at each other, you've had a bit of, you know, grabbing the shirt and everything and then, and then you know it's going to, you know, it's going to tee off. And then, you know, you're a little bit more useful or whatever it might be or you, you strike strike lucky, then... You understand that because that was the nature of the game then. But when someone's not even looking and you just blindsided someone, I think that's just yeah. That's but I do think I do think I do think the old rugby, uh, the old rugby, the way it was played, and like we talked about Jack Rowell some time ago about the teams he picked, just big men. Um, but actually, the game was really slow, and it was it, it, it paved the way for a lot of violence. I mean, it was really violent. I mean, some of the stuff that went on was just ridiculous. And sometimes it was the more violent team could 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 out. out I'll, I'll tell you a player. I'll tell you a player who I respected a lot. Never played with him. He retired before I went pro. I think, or maybe around the same time. You mentioned him in your all-time England. Is Tim Robber. I remember that yeah. 94, line, 94 England tour to South Africa, which was the first time England toured there after when after apartheid. Yeah. And um, he uh, he had a storming first test. I remember it was the most amazing yeah. game like I've seen from a back row forward. Like Because South Africa were obviously these big men. And I don't think England, yeah. England had a very good tour, that tour. They'd lost a few provincial games and everyone was expected to lose and England won. And uh, then he played a midweek game. And they were dirty as hell, and you had South African referees and touch judges, and they weren't going to call anything against South African teams. They let everything go. And it was the classic photo of Delalio when he had his back raped. 
and it was a violent game. And this guy was just getting away with murder. I think he came off the bench and he started on him and he unleashed probably about 10 uh, 18 or 15 uppercuts. Yeah. 10 or 15 uppercuts on this bloke, this second row. Didn't know what hit him. Got yeah. sniffed off. And uh, I just remember thinking, now that's a tough bloke because he takes yeah. punishment. He deal, you yeah. know, he plays the game properly how it should be played. Hard man. Yeah. Took the punishment, then thought, you know what? No more. I've had enough of this. You've done this to Phil de Glanville. I think that's when Phil de Glanville had the massive stitches. This yeah. to Delalio, this to all the team. He's been watching this on the bench. He hasn't yeah. gone on there straight away to, you know, put the world to rights. Um, he's waited for another incident and then he's just taken him apart. Oh, it's fair, yeah, but the amount of punches he did under it, it was just ridiculous. Well, it was like 18 punches in nine seconds or whatever. So, um, which, well, a lot of in the news at the moment, we're talking about Manu Tulangi uh, leaving Leicester official now and question marks where he'll go. But before we talk about Manu, who did he punch? I think he got sent off, yeah. Oh, Chris like, Ashton, wasn't it? Chris, Chris Ashton. Ashton, what a punch, though. Flipping heck. It was like, oh, I mean, he caught him a peach. I mean, you wouldn't mess. You'd have you'd have Manu on your side, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd but have... mate, again, that, and I'm not saying. Look, I wouldn't mess with Manu ever. You know what I mean? Even if, even <laughs> if he had one arm and one arm, one arm, one leg, and he was drugged to the eyeballs on flipping <laughs> Valium, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him on. But that was again. Ashley wasn't even looking. You know, Ashley had wound him up. I think a little bit before, right. like maybe shoved right. him or kicked the ball away on a quick tap or whatever. Yeah. Manu had enough. And uh, you know, Ashy is an annoying little git. He has, has to be said. You know, he does he does like the wind ups during a game. And uh, you know, some people might say it was come up, but it was. He was still. I don't think he was looking, was he? I think. I think Manny sort of launched one at him. Oh, he um, probably caught him. In oh slow yeah, motion. and oh, when yeah. it was in slow motion, it was sort of his head was moving around and everything and. Things we so probably shouldn't be celebrating in rugby. Yeah. So here's the thing with Manu. Um, obviously, Leicester have had to let him go. And I think the, the Leicester fans are furious because they feel like they stood by him for all those years that he's been injured and, in fact, played probably more for England than he has for Leicester. Um, Leicester in tur- turmoil. But I think from Leicester's point of view, I, I think it was salary was half a million quid. Uh, I think they had to let him go now with the wage cap being reduced over the next few years. And the question is where he's going to go now. I mean, the big thing is he was fantastic for England in the World Cup. And uh, over the last few years, he's a powerhouse. He's a He's got the X factor. And I, the question is, is, what should he do now? Now, the question is, he could go to Japan, uh, make probably three quarters of a million or up to a million. There's questions that maybe he'll go to France or is there a team? Some people have said that maybe... Bristol are looking at him, although I don't know where they can fit him in under the under the wage cap. No idea. But what what should he do? I mean, he's played for him quite a few years now. He's been to the World Cup. Will he make another World Cup? Not sure. But now is his payday, isn't it? Really, he's got to make as much money as he can and look after his family. Uh, I know the two laggies have been at Leicester for twenty years, for, so it's an end of a of a of a sort of historical relationship with Leicester. But from his point of view. You know, why should he take a pay cut if he can command a huge salary in what's probably the last few years of his career, isn't it? What do you think? Yeah, look, um, he, he said, didn't he? And, you know, a lot of people t- say it, but, you know, the years come around quick. He said it would be his last World Cup, I think, when it, in the lead up to the final, didn't he? So he sort of th- thought that that would be his last opportunity. Um It's more the injuries, isn't it, um, that have affected him than, than his age. I mean, he's still you know, the world's best when, when he's when he's fit. And, you know, Eddie Jones in 2019, 
you know, uh, and the Leicester physios and, and medical staff managed to keep him in prime fitness and, you know, sort of relatively injury free to uh, compared to his, his track record. Um, I, I would think from a career point of view, from a rugby point of view, Lyons has got to be on his radar. Um, oh, yeah. He, you know, he, he went in 13, didn't he? He didn't start any of the tests, but uh, he didn't go in 17 injury. Um, Lions has got to be on his radar, whether it might be retribution for the World Cup final or taking on the world champions, but you know, or just because it's the Lions, you know, in South Africa. Yeah. Um, and if he goes to Japan, yes, he can get a good payday, probably look after himself a bit longer, and they would love a player like that out there. If he goes to Japan, their season doesn't start till January, and there's also sounds out there that they're not even sure it will start in January because the Olympics obviously is going to take place later on in the year and they might defer it till after the Olympics. Now that could mean he's not playing rugby for a hell of a long time and maybe not getting paid for a long time. You know, I don't know how the sort of structure of contracts works out there because obviously a number of players have recently signed and moved over there. Um, France is probably your best option. I know they've had a reduction in, in how much they're paying, but they're still, you know, they're still going to be able to pay, you know, far more inflated wages than than the premiership um and then that sort of begs the question doesn't it about this sort of rfu rule i think if if you went to a usa and, and japan just the geography and the quality of rugby you know there's too much of a bigger gap to try and make up in terms of if eddie wanted to bring him back on under this sort yeah. of exceptional circumstances clause yeah. but france i think eddie would bring him back i think he is exceptional circumstances look he wanted to stay at leicester if they'd honored his contract and look that that's another talk the rfu today said no the rfu today i know that well they, they i think they've got to say no because at the moment they've got to protect premier rugby you know they work they work in collusion not all the time as we know but but if they said yes he's an exceptional circumstance then you get someone like mario toji who still hasn't yeah decided what he's going to do, maybe going to France as well, for example, or going overseas as well. So as soon as they say no, because the carrot is to play for England, you've got to be in England. Um, if they said, yes, look, this is an exceptional circumstance, other other players might try their arm and then you weaken, obviously, the premiership. And I'll be honest know, with you. I don't, the, whole I don't. Point of, the whole point of that, that clause sort of becomes obsolete, doesn't it? I just, I, I don't understand this rule of, of, of not wanting... Players to experience rugby uh, around the world. I mean, I think in a way, going to France or going to Japan would be potentially good for him as a human being. Good for him potentially from a rugby point of view. Perhaps it will be a different style. It won't be as hard on his body. Um, you know, going to France, learning a new language, you know, doing something different. And, and I, I, I kind of, I get the idea was you don't want all your players around the world flying in from everywhere. But I do think though. This, I think in Wales they've done it. Is it 60 cap rule? I'm not sure. In England it's just a blank no. I think there has to be some sort of, you know, at the end of people's careers, they should be able to go and play, I think, and experience these things. Obviously, not blanket for everyone. I just think it's good for the player as well. Why isn't it good for some of these players to travel the world and play a different brand of rugby and look after themselves and experience something different? That's how I see it. Yeah, look... um, I, I I agree with you, Brax. Um, I got offered, you know, I got offered um, to go to Toulon back in 2012, you know, and I had to make a decision sort of December, wow. ele- December was 11th. It du- was, it, was it double your salary? Oh, mate. Well, le- less about that. They went on to win three European Cups, didn't they? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Johnny was out there. Shawsy was out there. Um, it was after the 11 World Cup and, 
you know, Quinn's offered. To be honest, it was two. It was a two-year deal. That was a two-year deal um, from Toulon, and Quinn's offered me three years, and they actually increased my salary not to what Toulon were offering. And no. Quinn's, were, you know, we we were riding the crest of a wave. Then, you know, we hadn't won the league yet, but we went on and won it then. And you wanted to be part of it. Oh, deal that's all right. Again. That's all. And right, look, though, and um, you know, I wanted to be in and around London as well. And you know, you wanted to grow something with Harlequins. You know, there was the small matter of my testimonial coming up as well. But uh, yeah, it was val- there was valid reasons made. But I look back on my career now and I go, you know what? Um, and there, I had another opportunity, Clermont, actually, years before that. I think 2009 or 2010, I can't remember. And I think it's such a short career, my advice. And I spoke to a few players who are sort of, you know, in, in, in a bit of indecision the last few years about, I just say, look, I can only give you my experiences. Look, there was good reasons why I stayed, um, valid reasons why I stayed. And obviously, the England carrot was another one as well. Um, but... Looking back, I wish I had experienced playing over there, even if it was for two years, because it goes very, very quick. And what it can give you from a life perspective, from a rugby perspective, cultural friends as well, um, you know, two years goes very, very quickly. It can really enrich you. And But at the end of the day, mate, England have got to look after their product. And, uh, you know, they they try and work as well as they can with the clubs and with Premier Rugby. Mm. And, you know, you've got to look after the sort of domestic product as much as possible. And if you've got your top players playing in Premier Rugby and representing your English clubs, um, you know, and obviously with the agreement they've got as well, because remember, if you're playing for yeah. a French club, you don't get those fallow weeks off and the release clauses are a little bit different, aren't they? Um, yeah. Uh, I just think it's... For the yeah. Six Nations, for example, you might not be there for a few of the weeks that the rest of the squad's there. So... Um, the only the only time I I got close to leaving was um, I think I told you this was was Harlequins came in for me with Mark Evans there he, he went from Saracens to to Harlequins and I had my my contract offer rescinded because we had lost three or four games on the trot and then Mark Evans came came in with a big offer um, and I was I was really tempted but the other one very bizarrely no real French clubs came in for me. Uh, maybe because I was pretty shit by the end of my career, I don't know. But uh, London Broncos at one stage, I last <laughs> couple of years in my contract, um, I can't remember his name. He came, he came and Tony uh, Ray, Tony Ray, Tony Ray. Yeah, he yeah, came yeah. and met me. He said, "Fancy playing a bit of rugby league?" I was like, "What? Really? Where would I play?" He was like, "Halfback." I was like, "That's how I, I was." I quite like rugby league, but I, I really didn't think I'd make a good halfback. But I wasn't quite sure about that. I mean, Chris Chesney went across to rugby league, and he found he said it was really tough, really tough. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, a very I, different sport. Very different sport. Yeah, but so so Manu, where do you think he's going to go? What do you reckon? Uh, I would. Uh, I'd put money on Bristol. Uh, <laughs> Bristol. Flipping hell, mate. But, um, I, t- I tell you what, that's uh, well, I won't be on it. But I, I think if he's going to go abroad, it will be. Racine or Montpellier, I think. Yeah, I think. So, I think some, something along yeah. those lines. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, he, he lives in Leicester. Maybe he'd enjoy the sort of Paris capital lifestyle that, that it can give you as something different. Or maybe he would like the sunshine down in Montpellier. Um, yeah. Two choices, uh, two options you'd like to have, mate, basically. Have you, heard, have you heard what Leicester's replacement is, by the way, who, they, who they've, re, they've signed now from Australia? I thought it was a joke, but they've signed someone called Harry Potter. <laughs> have so they? they've, yeah, they've signed a, a player called Harry Potter from Melbourne Rebels, who plays oh, okay. centre. 
Yeah, so yeah, they need a bit of magic, magic to replace. Yeah, but the thing is as well, mate, in terms of the return they get out of Manu, last oh. year, this season, he's played two premiership games. Is that all? He's played oh, two. Now, of course, sure. yeah, but let's let's remember we had the World Cup and now we've, COVID. Had, and now we've had COVID. Um, but he played two premiership games and really their return on investment in terms of the number oh, of games shocking. play hasn't oh. been good. So shocking. from a business point of view, but it's just interesting because I remember his contract, with last couple of times his contract's been up, They've been fighting to keep him. Absolutely fighting to keep him. Really, so it's interesting. Talking though. a bit, talk, talking of business, and you know, players coming to the end of the career, and how important it is to get it right. Is um, I hate to read stories um, about players uh, post uh, career, sort of, you know, falling on hard times. I mean, the one person I was uh, I was gutted to hear about was uh, well, Matt Dawson last year, I think. Um, I think a few players got duped. Their accountant ended up <clears throat> ended up um, using their money and gambling it all away. I mean, we're talking like a million quid or something. I think the guy went to jail. But I just saw uh, today on um, on BBC Sport Gareth Cooper, the number nine, great kid, great great scrum half, Lions player. Um, his wife and some uh, business colleagues basically remortgaged all his houses to the full extent and went bankrupt. So he's lost everything. Absolutely and his everything. gyms. And that was his gyms as well. Yeah, he, his gyms. Didn't he, build, um, didn't he uh, build some gyms in his wife's name or something like that, but use his money so, or a card? Something like that. But she then got mortgages on the family home and all his other homes, three or four homes, and everything went kaput. So uh, he got – the judge ordered her to pay him a pound – of the million quid that he lost. So he must be... But she's gone to jail, isn't she? I don't think... No, she has got jealousy. I think she's gone... Well, Uh, maybe. Well, it's just sad, isn't it? And you see these players... I mean, the other sad story is the Worcester guy... So he's bankrupt now, and the thing is, when he's bankrupt, bankrupt. that's that's a mark against you for a long, long time. Yeah, you can't get a loan. I mean, I do hope the rugby community can sort of do something for him. Although... I was a bit worried today reading in the press about the Worcester player who got uh, paralysed. Michael Fatialofa. Yeah, he's just been given a bill of 100 grand. Yeah, I think Worcester are going to help him out, though, mate. I think um, that the owners have said, look, you know, he's our player and although his contract's coming to an end, we're going to help him out. And they're quite appalled to have found out about that bill. So mm. that's really good of them. If, you know, if, it, if, if they do help him out and they end up, you know, paying the bill and, and he keeps getting treated at Worcester and coming in, you know, for the physio and, and yeah. what have you. You know, and I think that's the right way to treat a player. You, you know, mm. it's, and unfortunately, that's the nature of our sport, mates. And you know, you're, you're one injury away. It's a very short-lived career, anyway. If you don't, if you don't suffer badly from yeah. injuries, one injury away, and, and that was a horrific injury. But it was an it's a miracle though that he walked. I mean, he was oh, told it's that he, fantastic. It's absolutely it's fantastic. incredible, isn't it? It's incredible, and um, yeah. But but I thought I thought uh, it'd be good just to sort of have a, a, a sweeping look at the game in general. I mean, now that they're talking now about uh, contact training coming back, but w- one of the things, I don't know whether you've seen this, is yeah. the analysis. The that the, the, anal- the, the ana- Yeah, well, the first thing is the subs. World Rugby have listened to us and have said that uh, Bill Bowman has said they want to introduce less subs, but their biggest problem with that is uh, how to police the replacements. So we talked about that. It's so so hard to police, you know, faking injuries. I just think... I don't, yeah. Because he said, he said to me, he said, so let, he said five or six, we want to reduce the amount of um, 
players that can be replaced. So I think it's still eight eight people on the bench. You can only five. replace five or six, right? So fine, we yeah. all know the benefits from it. Um, we won't go through that again. But he says, but if you've used all your subs up in a tactical yeah. swap, you can still use the other guys. So let's just say oh. five subs. You can still use the other three to replace injured players. And he goes, no. and then we say, but mate, how are you going to be able to police that? Is the, are you can't. now saying that that player is injured can't play the next week? Because there's so many times when you get an injury and you do play the next week. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, for, what happens if you use all eight subs up tactically? Say you empty the bench early and then you get an injury, you can't bring anyone else on. You know, no. you're having to play with 14 people. Um, oh, or what, or yeah. what you can do is, you know, you don't bring a fresh person on. You maybe bring someone on that you've subbed previously. Um, I, and if, it, I, and if I, he happens I, not to be in a similar position, then you've got to rejig it around a little but bit. I, but I think the this, whole this point could be open to exploitation. Yeah, I think the whole point of it is to reduce the amount of fresh players coming on and to try to get certainly, yeah, players a lot fitter to last the eighty. And I was hoping that apart and therefore from, and therefore reduce injuries because you got less bulked up. Big yes, collisions. Yeah, yeah, that was the whole point. point but, but if you start trying to say, well, no, you can do this and do that, people will just bend the rules and let people come on. I think if you, I think what it should be is apart from the front row, which is slightly different, and I don't know how you police that, but I think you should, if you do replace your front row, you can't make any other replacements on the park. This is what I think anyway. And therefore, you're going to be very tactical as to how you do that. And if you've done more than, say, two or three, then after that, if someone gets injured, you play with 14 men. So that will force you to be very tactical, thinking, I can't do any more because if I do, potentially if someone gets injured, I've got to play with 14 men. So that would probably force people not to do the tactical, you know what I mean? Not to sort of abuse yeah, yeah, it. But listen, listen, listen look, it's um, it's interesting. But, I think it's, um, a long way, it's a long way away. Though, here's, here's the thing, what's, what's interesting. They were talking about the scrum and COVID-19 and they did had some physicians do an analysis of, of how likely it is to transfer COVID at scrum time. And they said, actually, if a front row coughs, that uh, actually the droplets are more likely to go onto the floor, right? However, the most dangerous person uh, at scrum time is not people in the scrum, but it's the scrum half. The scrum half who's above them all, if he coughs and shouts and spits, and then it goes onto the players. So that's interesting that they've done an analysis on that. So the scrum well, what, are Sorry, what, what analysis have they done? Is that not blimmin' obvious? Well, a, is that not gravity? <laughs> yeah, the, well, it is gravity. Head, the front well, row's heads yeah. and eyes and mouth are all pointing down, facing the floor yeah. when they engage in the scrum, and the scrum half is facing the front row. That's like, right. What what sort of analysis do you need to do for that? You know, well, the exactly. Have a look at it. It's on, have a look. It's on going in that direction. You can see that is a waste know. of time. That article, <laughs> whatever you read there, mate, it's a complete yeah. waste of airspace. What's well, there was an interview with Danny Kerr saying, "How do you feel like you could be the most dangerous person on the pitch?" <laughs> it's like it was like, well, I, well, yeah, but like you say, it's gravity, isn't it? It's not a genius, but it'll be interesting to see how they can try and keep it safe. But listen, we talked a lot about um, you know England and players leaving clubs, and you know, but but some of the other nations. I mean, Wales look like they're in a terrible state financially. Ireland at the moment, I believe they want a 20% pay cut. No one's necessarily agreed to it, but they're, they're still sort of uh, in dispute with the players. Um, and, and Scotland are in a bit of a dire strait as well. But I believe CVC now, I don't know whether you read this, 
have agreed a deal with French rugby to buy into, you know, to get the rights for the French rugby. So they're they're looking at I think it's I think it's something like two hundred million over five years. Uh, but again, gradually that might taking work. over, mate. Gradually taking over. They are, but that might be a way out for some of these teams. The RFU, I mean, they must be. I mean, I know some of the staff at uh, the RFU. I think they've been a lot of them have been furloughed, basically. Um, so they're in dire straits. But maybe CVC is the only way out for them. But bloody hell, it's a mess, isn't it? It's an absolute mess. Yeah, look, I mean, where the you know, it's, it's great to have that you know, private equity firm willing to give you the money there and then. And um, it depends whether you can wait, ride out the storm, you know. Um, it's going to take a long time to go back to normal. But, uh, you know, I'm quite optimistic and positive that, you know, we'll see bums back back on seats by September. You know, the way things are going, look, really? you know, people have only just been allowed to socialise in pubs and restaurants open and all that sort of stuff over the weekend. So we'll have to wait and find out what the data is. Regards did you that. get out? Did you go out? Did you get on the pitch? No, mate, 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 I didn't see the point. It's like, well, I've waited four months anyway. What's the point in going when every Tom, Dick and Harry is going to be there over your yeah. shoulder, just in case, from a safety point of view, I can I can handle another couple of days, yeah. you know, or another week. Um, interesting, this week, actually, we've got a, a good little uni social. Um, I've had to buy, I've had to, I didn't buy a bike, I'm borrowing a bike, mate, because I never do any of these bike rides and all that oh, stuff. Oh, right, yeah. You're not um, built for it, mate. You're not I'm, built I'm for it. My body's still all right for running, but uh, I decided uh, to relent. So we were due to go to Amsterdam. That's been cancelled. But we're doing a we're doing a 50 mile cycle around Buckinghamshire and Berkshire with uh, there's about 10 of us uni mates doing a camp out. So we're camping overnight. Oh, shit. So, uh, my worst nightmare. Oh, mate, 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 I reckon it'd be a good laugh, mate. I reckon it'd be a good laugh. Be a good laugh. You're trying to just that had, I've just had, mate, before before this call. I just had all the lycra. Um, delivered, delivered to me. Oh, I was no. going to do this podcast in Ligra, but I thought <laughs> I might turn off a few viewers. But uh, Nick, the world's yeah, coming mate, to some place what, where I'm not looking for. I'm just literally packing a shitload of vests, making sure I'm padded up to the max because my body ain't used to cycling. Is that for the tent? Time. Is that for the tent? Is that is that Vaseline for the tent? Listen, I, I'm I'm really impressed with a newborn. How old you're now? Six months? How old? How old is he? Eighteen months. Eighteen. Eighteen months. You, your missus allowing you to go, to go to Amsterdam with your with your university. You wouldn't be come back. It'd be like hangover, man. Hey, she can't wait to get rid of me, pal. Oh, really? Even if it's Amsterdam, I, I can't wait to go. <laughs> oh my god! So you'd rather go camping in England in the rain? Mate, it won't be raining. Mate, 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 it's all covered, mate. It's luxury camp. It's glamping. Oh, is it? Is it glamping? Is it? Oh, mate, mate, but listen, Vikings are than you think. Fire, mate, you get the beers out. You stop off for lunch halfway through. Apart from the cycling, it sounds like a good crack. But uh, you've got to earn it, mate. You know what it's like. You've got to earn it. Yeah, you've got to earn. You, you look like you've earned it, mate. Well, listen, have a good, uh, have a good holiday, and uh, be great to catch up and see where the world of rugby goes in the next month and. Um, when you come back from a nice town in Portugal, we'll have a catch-up and um, take the piss out of each other a bit more. Yeah, exactly, mate. It's been good doing this uh, doing this podcast. And uh, when the rugby starts back in this country, we'll be back on it, back on the air. Yeah, definitely.